Hello, everybody, and welcome to Mrs. G's Storytime. We are reading the book Harold Sanjin by Patricia Sanjin with permission of 10 of those publishing company. And we are on chapter 4, The Lover. When you were in your teens, lad, and I was only three, oh, then we played at piggyback, as happy as happy could be. So ho for the joy of childhood years, and my love will always be with the boy who played at piggyback with a curly maid of three. When you were in your twenties and I was seventeen, by lake and mountainside we roamed like any king and queen. So ho for the joy of girlhood days and my dearest friend has been, the man who climbed the hills with me when I was seventeen. When you were in your thirties and I was twenty-three, a lover bold you came along and stole my heart from me. So ho for the joy of courting days and my love will ever be with a man who gave me all his heart when I was twenty-three. Now you are in your forties, and I am growing stead. Once more you play at piggyback with a curly little maid. So ho for the joy of man and wife, and my whole life's love will be, with a man who played at piggyback with Hazel and with me. Now today is our wedding day. The years have run to three. I send this rhyme with all my love for the years that still shall be. And Hazel sends a kiss, my dear, and Farnham, oh, so we, can only send a dream, my dear, as his fast asleep by me. Lines written by his wife on their third wedding anniversary, July 1917. When Harold Sandin was only 16 years old, he attended a meeting where a blue-eyed, curly-headed baby of three wriggled frantically and slipped out off of her nurse's knee on the floor. She was taken out, and young Harold shiverously carried her home. Later on, he liked to assert that he decided then and there to wait for that baby. But perhaps his memories were colored by the, the events that were to come. At any rate, there, were, there was always something rather special to him about little Ella Swain. Her rosy cheeks and healthy, normal appearance, her quick intelligence and tremendous enjoyment of life rested and refreshed him. She was no ascetic. Everything from singing love songs on the beach to the poems she learned at school was delightful and golden. She lived to the full, and as his older sister became her governess for a time, he quite often saw her. She was the daughter of Walter Rees Swain, HMI, and Alice Swain, and as her father was a Board of Education inspector, he naturally believed in a broad, careful education for girls. He was a scientist, and he had delighted in introducing his small daughter to the wonders and beauties of the universe. There was an unusually close, tender link between Mr. Swain and his daughter, and Ella responded to his teaching with eager delight, and not only to science. History and poetry captivated her, and while her future husband experienced spiritual rapture in the meeting for the breaking of bread at Godaling, he she sat entranced, reciting Tennyson's poems to herself. Her father's work meant frequent change of home, so Mrs. Mr. Swain asked Mrs. Sanjin if she would take Ella as a weekly boarder until she could start at Pryorsville, the new school which Mrs. Huxley, mother of Sir Julian and Alice Huxley, was about to open near Godling. She was then 12 years old, and her greatest delight was to play football in the square with her friends and the Sanjin boys. Harold, at 24, loved to tease her and to pull her hair and nicknamed her Piglet. She remembers him as a very jolly young man, full of humor and high spirits, and occasionally she was allowed to go to an open-air meeting and hold his hat, and this to her was the height of bliss. She lived with him for six months, and then her family returned to Godling. 
Later on, she and Mrs. Swain once came once more to stay with the Sanjans. And here it was that the rosy-faced 16-year-old schoolgirl happened to attend some evening Bible readings, intended primarily for young men, where Harold Sanjan lectured on the book of Amos. These lectures opened her eyes, and up till then she revered the Bible and deeply respected and believed her parents' teaching. But compared to botany and poetry, she found scripture a dull subject. But as for St. Paul's missionary journeys and the kings of Israel, she considered them the depths of boredom. But through his exposition of the minor prophets, the book suddenly became alive. Here in this deep, mystic, yet practical teaching was the bread her eager, growing spirit craved for. Literary beauty and strength, scholarly truth, burning challenge and devotion. She responded from the depth of her soul, and night after night she would sit absorbed in the drawing room with the young men. And whenever there was an opportunity, she would accompany Harold to the different halls where he lectured. She was thrilled and fascinated and began to study her Bible, finding in it the answer to her youthful problems and a book to live by. During the next two years, Harold spent many Sundays lecturing down in Godlam, and he always stayed at her home. Although they were close friends, their relationship was quite devoid of romance. To her, he was a revered teacher, 12 years her senior, and in all their conversations, they kept strictly to the point. He never failed to record those conversations in the diary. Travel down in the train with Piglet. Much enjoyed Joshua and Four in the train together. An active, interested mind. Wrote a long letter to Piglet on Matthew eight thirteen. A very dear child. God bless her and keep her in the midst of the vain glories of life. But in his heart there was a growing a quiet, steady love, along with a fatherly interest in her spiritual growth. In September of 1906, he and another man interviewed her with a view to her becoming a, a communicant which means she would be able to um, to take in the communion. Saw a piglet as to the Lord's table, a tender flower. Who will shelter her through life? God give him to be a true man. Never met anyone like her. God will give her great future. And a little later on, he wrote, a long think over future life. I feel drawn to piglet if God wills. I think it would be truly happy. He said nothing for she, as yet, had no such ideas. She had gained an entry to read history at Westville College, London University, and was, as usual, throwing herself into her plans and studies with heart and soul. He knew that this would mean a delay of at least three years, but with his constant selfless regard for her highest welfare, he did not attempt to dissuade her. He was now 31 and longing for a helpmeet and a home and children of his own great wave of homesickness and longing for a home of my own, he wrote. Loneliness grows as I get spiritually separated from those around me. They don't understand me, nor I them. Thank God there will be children left here as long as I am. The heartstrings go out to them, and I get awfully homesick, a man alone, a poor prospect. I long for a yoke fellow to be out and out for Christ. So he waited patiently while she enjoyed college life to the full. She became senior student, president of the debating society, and a love friend of the, of the mistress and founder of the college, Mrs. Constance L. Menard, who dreamed a glorious academic career for her student. In her second year, she won the Derby Scholarship for History, and later on was offered a junior lectureship at Holloway College, but she refused for family reasons. The future stretched bright before her, and then, quite suddenly, Harold Sanjin proposed to her crossing the road at Brighton in the middle of heavy traffic. 
It was a complete surprise to her. But because for years he had been the best, most saintly man I knew, she accepted immediately, and they announced their engagement that night at the supper table. She had expected to become a housewife in Bayswater, with the banker husband already rising to prosperity. But this idea, too, had to be abandoned. Some months later, Harold Santon astonished all who knew him by deciding to resign from the bank and to go abroad as a foreign missionary without any settled means of support. This was no sudden impulse. Years before, he had seen the vision, but the time was not yet ripe. It had seemed impractical then for family reasons, and he had resigned himself rather sadly to London life. The land that had previously filled his thoughts was Mexico, where his own father had died. Mexico looms before me, he had written about five years previously. Go ye, Christ said, and I can do it in the name. Mexico took Papa, can I carry her the gospel? Perhaps a second purpose lurks behind, to preach him where he is not named. But what what of mother? It is easy to put Mexico away and settle in ease and comfort, but I am hungry to find myself without a plank between me and Christ. Is Mexico God's will? I dare not move until I am clear about my motives. And then later on, Mexico must go. I must settle down to London life, a bitter, bitter prospect, only sweetened by his wisdom ever waketh. But the seed of desire had lain latent throughout the years, and at 36 he was free to go, not to Mexico, but to South America. The sudden knowledge came to him in the night, and he came down in the morning, absolutely certain of his call. The only words he could find to explain this revelation were the words of the hymn, Christ, the Son of God, has sent me to the midnight lands. Mind the mighty ordination of the pierced hands. To the sorrow and indignation of his employers, he resigned his excellent prospects and proceeded to prepare himself for the mission field. He would have undoubtedly risen to the top, said his colleagues regretfully, and the deputy manager was frankly skeptical. How will you live and who will provide for your expenses, he asked, since you're not going out under any recognized missionary society. I'm going out to do God's work, replied Harold. God is sending me and God will provide. Well, Sanjin, replied the manager thoughtfully, I wish I had your faith. He spent a year in missionary training home in northwest Hampstead and did a course in homeopathic medicine and first aid. And here at the college, he was remembered by one who only knew him for a few months and was later ordained. About 45 years later, he wrote, In the year 1912, six of us entered into the missionary training home in northwest Hampstead to prepare ourselves for God's work. We were all bound for different places. Mr. Sanson and I shared the same table, the same study, and the same classroom, and we loved each other's company. He usually carried his umbrella, and often we climbed Hampstead Hearth to enjoy, like the two who went to Emmaus, the enlightening presence of the third who drew near and went with us. He was so humble and so devoted to his studies. He used to admire our knowledge of the scripture, but we knew that this was his own humility. He was destined for greatness. He followed one who humbled himself and was exalted. Ella Swain, meanwhile, was doing a special missionary nursing course at the Mildway Hospital. She and Harold were now in London together, and although the off-duty hours of a nurse in those days were few and short, he did manage to take her out once a fortnight. Miss Cantell, the saintly old matron of Mildway, disapproved of this. 
She considered this almost fast behavior and suggested to Ella that another nurse should go with them and act as a chaperone. Ella, who loved the old matron dearly, hesitated, and in order to gain time, she said she would discuss it with her fiancé. She did, and he cut the discussion short. Tell old muscatels and raisins I'm not having any, he replied, and they set off on their proper expedition to the country. From Bethnal Green, Ella went to Brighton, where she did her midwifery and worked on the district. They were married in July of 1914, and a special reception had to be given for proud mothers and babies after the wedding. The wedding service was conducted by Mr. James Hamilton, the beloved leader of the Clarendon Room, Notting Hill, whom Harold regarded as a spiritual father. Thus, after 12 years of patient waiting, Harold was given his heart's desire. The wife, who in every way was the perfect complement of himself, Together they decided quite simply that throughout their married life the Lord's work would always come first with him, and she never forgot her promise or questioned his long absences from home. Her practicality balanced his mysticism, for she was a born homemaker, and whether in the wilds of Brazil or in the vermous lodgings in Buenos Aires or later in England, where the old red brick homes swarmed with children, there was always a place of peace for him to return to where he could rest from the heavy strains of ministry and study undisturbed. She asked very little of him, for she was essentially a giver, and for over forty years the calm, deep, selfless quality of their love for each other impressed even the casual visitors. No child of theirs can ever remember one sharp, irritable word between them, and the atmosphere of the home inspired many young people to whom they opened it up so freely. I want my home to be exactly like yours, wrote one young bride. And when at last the earthly parting came, many were the testimony to the influence of that home. I thank God for the wonderful example your united lives have been, wrote a well-known missionary from India, and for the privilege I have had of being drawn into your family circle and experiencing the happy atmosphere of love and harmony that seems to permeate the very walls of your home. The love you had for each other was such a powerful witness and example to anyone who saw and watched you, wrote a school teacher who had stayed with them as a child, and from another who had known them closely all through her childhood. I always thought you were a model of what a husband and wife should be, so much one in everything and always so radiantly happy together. I am convinced it was a sermon to the young people who watched you. There were letters, too, from some who had never been blessed with a happy home life. They watched wistfully, always wondering if such a relationship could be true. You can't possibly know how much your life together has meant to me, wrote one. It meant perhaps more than the preaching and teaching, though I've never heard anyone to compare with him. But you knew that if you came for advice, you would always receive a welcome. There would always be a readiness to listen and to turn your problems into prayers. And you would go away thinking, it's going to be all right now. My heart goes out in praise for all the blessing your wonderful love to each other has been to me and scores of others, added another. I remember about 13 years ago the first tremendous impression it made upon me and how it made me feel that if that was what the love of Christ manifested in human relationships was like, then there was indeed no love like his. Another faithful old servant of Christ wrote, My mind goes back to the evening I spent in your home at Malvern 20 years ago. Commander Mrs. Solway and Douglas Breeley were also there. There was such a happy atmosphere. 
that I have frequently said it was the nearest thing to heaven I have ever experienced. But this was all far ahead. Their first home was a one room in a house in Buenos Aires where black beetles swarmed the walls at night. They stood the legs of their camp beds in kerosene, and Ella learned to housekeep in a kitchen where they shared with four Spanish families. It was a hard struggle from the beginning, but fortunately both were endowed with a keen sense of humor, and Ella was his sunshine and laughter. She's like a hummingbird changed to a tortoise, he once remarked. One feature of their life together was that he was never in in the least particular as to what he called her. She answered indiscriminately to Tinker, Claude, Jemima, Jones, William. In his old age, when quiet, sanity, and balance were some of his most distinguishing marks, he was reading a pamphlet on the crucified life. A crucified Christian can live independent of country, wife, or child. He is at home in any region and has yielded up all preferences, ran the pamphlet. He stopped and considered a moment and then declared his disagreement with the statement. And using one of his pet names for his wife, he said, I think I shall still rather have Ahithophel. Well, tomorrow we are going to be reading Chapter 5, The Missionary. I love you. I'm praying for you. And we'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye for now.